You're listening to the Falcher Ireland Inside Tourism Business Podcast, the definitive podcast for tourism operators, bringing you expert advice, insights, and practical tools to help you navigate the challenges your business is facing. My name is Ruth Hegarty, and I'm your host for the first series of Falcher Ireland's new podcast, where we delve inside food, examining trends, innovations, and tackling costs to help you run a leaner, more successful food operation. Welcome back to Falter Ireland's Inside Tourism Business Podcast. In episode four of our Inside Food series, we discuss the topic of food waste. I'm delighted to be joined once again by chef and food consultant Niall Hill of Niall Hill Foods. And with us today is Morris McGeehan, performance chef with the IRFU. Hi, guys. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Morris. Hi, guys. So in our last episode, we took a detailed look at managing food costs. But of course, if you're going to properly manage costs in any area of business, we really have to consider wastage, where it may be occurring and how it's possible to eliminate it. So today we're going to focus in detail on food waste, examine where it's happening and how it can be avoided. An estimated 30% of food produced globally is wasted along the food chain, which all contributes to environmental impacts through its production and disposal. So there's an environmental imperative. But of course, food waste is also bad for business. You pay for it twice when you purchase it and when you dispose of it. In fact, three times if you consider labour time that's involved in, in prepping it. And the EPA has done some quite detailed research on, on food waste in the Irish food service industry. So we'll discuss some of the, the stats from that as well as we go through the discussion. So, Niall, I suppose just to, to set the scene, what do we mean by food waste? Where does it occur in food service businesses? First of all, I guess we have to have a look at you know how this is impacting our business and what it's costing us. With the EPA stats, you know they're saying that in the Irish food service sector is producing 150,000 tons of waste per year. Now that's an incredible amount of waste. You know, and you're right in what you're saying. You know, from a global point of view, a third of all food for human uh, consumption is wasted. So this is really incredible. So when we have a look at how is this occurring? It really starts at every stage from the back door right through to service. And when you have a look at trying to categorize this and trying to understand where the food waste is coming from, the EPA break this down into three, three different categories, which is unserved food waste, which is food that is spoiled due to overpurchasing or poor stock gradation. And this is also linked back to you know, your recipe development, scaling up, right? So that accounts for 27% of all food wasted in, in Irish kitchens. Then we have a look at preparation waste. Uh, and this is really consisting of your trimmings. Now, I know Morris doesn't uh, consider this a waste with his trimmings, <laughs> but this accounts for 35%. So this is an incredible stat that where, where possibly there could be huge improvement. But what was most uh, interesting was the plate waste. So this is really saying that you're over-portioning, you're serving too much food and this accounts for an incredible 38% of all food wasted in kitchens. So I find this really incredible but, but what it does is it, it allows us to analyse the waste of where it's coming from and it allows us to be proactive and really kind of dive in deep into it and have a look at how we can prevent this waste and reduce this cost. Okay and I suppose just briefly in terms of where all of that waste that is occurring currently ends up, what happens to all of that waste? 
it ends up costing you money. That is the bottom line. When you have a look at it, every time you waste food, it, it has a cost impact. It's costing you money, but it's also costing you uh, money and energy as well uh, and labor hours. So it's a huge cost to a business. And I always say that, you know, a waste cost is one of those variable costs. So is it a cost that you have control over or you can try and manage as best you can? So when we have a look at from um, a cost point of view, it's costing, and these figures are from the EPA, it's costing €3.38 for every kilo of waste that is produced in the kitchen. Now, this is incredible. This is based on per cover. So for every cover you do, it's costing you €3.38. And what's interesting as well, you know, for every cover, you're also 380 grams of wasted per cover as well. So that is incredible. So when you break this down, it's broken down into unavoidable waste and unavoidable waste. So your avoidable waste is 64% of that makeup. So that's incredible. So you're really just throwing money down the bin, really. And the unavoidable, which would be kind of classed as trimmings, is it makes up for 38%. So, but you know, there's ways in how you can really kind of have a look at this and manage this from a cost perspective, but also from a sustainability uh, side of it as well. Okay. And Amaris, as Niall said, of the waste. 35% 35% of it is classified as preparation waste. And in, in the EPA report, they say about 25% overall of waste is unavoidable, part of that preparation waste. Is that how you would classify it? Actually, no, not at all. I always like to look at my waste bowl from a mise en place section as a bowl of ingredients. You just need to kind of look at it in a different way. Don't look at them as peelings and as byproducts. Just look at them the same way as you would look at any other ingredient to use. You know, most kitchens always have a load of cauliflower leaves, broccoli stalks, carrot peelings, you know, and there's nothing really complicated about how you can use them. If they're in good enough um, condition, if they're fresh enough, you can cut them up. You can use the leaves and stir fries. I do a lot of fermenting in my kitchen. So I make lacto-fermented sauerkrauts, kimchi as well. Just the other day there, we just done a load of fresh cauliflower leaves. And you can be creative with it as well. Mix some flavors up. Then we just put some smoked paprika, some fennel in it, and 2% salt. And that was it. And you leave for two weeks and you get delicious component, nutritious component for a salad bar or part of a starter dish or, or, or whatever else you may use it for as an accompaniment. I also look at the techniques we're cutting you know, when we're cutting things like cauliflower, broccoli. You know, like you can, if you look at your technique, you can incorporate a lot of the leaf and a lot of the stalks into your actual florets when you cut them, and that goes for broccoli as well. Broccoli, we can cut them into battens. You can peel the stalks. You cut them chunky for roast veg. You can slice them thin rounds. You can uh, pickle them to make lovely garnishes. I do a papaya salad at work a lot, but it's not actually papaya. I actually use stalks from the broccoli. I peel them, I cut them to matchsticks, shred them with a mandolin, and I continue with the papaya salad recipe the exact same way. And when you put the salt and soy sauce or fish sauce into it, when it breaks down, it's very hard to uh, see the difference between that and, and, and unripe uh, green papaya. Other trimmings, you know, like meat, if you're breaking down a rack of lamb, you do have a lot of meat between those layers of fat. You know, you should keep those and dry cure them and make lamb bacon out of them. Other things like from a raw prep side would be like if you had a lot of chicken bones left from your boning or, or, or after your roasting, the great for stocks like even just the other day i'd done a, a peking duck pancakes and i had all these lovely duck bones left over and i made a lovely stock and i made a, an absolutely awesome hot and sour soup the next day with that you know and this is using every part of that dish and even had some duck fat left over some nice roast potatoes as well coming from that but also as well on top of that we do have in the avoidable waste section you know you do have food that's not being used i know every place is different in corporate catering or, or contract catering you would have the hotline and at, at, at two o'clock or half two whatever time your service is over 
you've always got food sitting there and you're always kind of looking, well, what do I do with this? Like someone might be it's still very good to use. Like, and you might have some simple stuff like some tagatellis left over. And you can do some simple stuff like uh, crisping that up with some olive oil and, or any other rapeseed oil, add some seasonings into it. You still cook it in the oven 140 degrees for two hours and you get these lovely shards of crispy pasta that can be used for salad components or even with some dips. Even the likes of uh, some roasted carrots that's left over from your service as well. They can be uh, gone into a blender, a high-speed blender, for a nice smooth consistency where you can make a lovely carrot tahini out of that. Wow, there's just so much inspiration and so many ideas there. I think chef's brains will be really, really getting going with all of those kind of ideas and, and really thinking about where you can, I suppose, avoid... You know, it's that idea of byproduct cooking, isn't it? Where, you know, mm. things that were perhaps wasted in the past, it's about just kind of taking, as you said, taking a new approach and, and looking at things mm. differently. And briefly, are there places where you would recommend chefs to go for, for inspiration on those ideas around kind of byproduct cooking and I suppose zero waste cooking? I suppose I went to Amas a few years ago and I found Amas to be a very inspiring place where it's funny enough, there's a few things we've done the same, but they were doing so much more than I was doing. And then I kind of looked at it and go, well, like this just breaks the constraints. Like there's no, there's no limits to this. Just push the boundary out. See, what can you make with this? Like in making like a Nori type a sheet out of kale stalks with a little bit of Zantown gun. And there was very little difference between that and Nori paste. And that just gets you thinking like, how, how far can I go with this? You know, how far can we all go with this? So maybe check out Matt Orlando in a mass for yeah. some inspiration on his social media platforms. And I know you, you on your own Twitter, is it Twitter or Instagram? Uh, Instagram and Twitter, yeah. So every week I put up loads of different kind of posts to show what to do with things that would normally go into the bin. And, and it's just really kind of get people to really open their eyes and say, well, okay, this is actually not a trimming. This is actually a, a really tasty ingredient that can be used for many different things. Brilliant. So Niall, I mean, listening to all of that makes me think about, you know, traditional kind of dish costing formulas where you would have your margin for food waste. So is that something, you know, that should be included in costings as a given? Should people incorporate that margin automatically? I think what you see happening in most uh, establishments route is that uh, they put in a 4% waste cost into their recipe costing. You know, Grant, I think it's okay to do that. It is a safety network, but it's not really tackling the real issue and identifying where your waste is coming from. And as Morris said, you know, he doesn't look at trimmings as waste. It's an ingredient. But every time you throw something in the bin, it automatically increases your food cost. So you take, say, a carrot and uh, a kilo of carrots and it's costing you a euro a kilo. By the time you peel them, you throw out that peel, now it's costing you and you're losing, say, 30%, it's costing you one euro 30. So the key is to really kind of turn your leftover in, into a turnover and really get value from money of every single ounce of that ingredient uh, that you're using. You know, what's worked for me, you know, Morris will probably touch on this as well, is I've done a lot of new product development, but we've uh, had new product development days around byproducts. And they've been probably the most creative days we've actually ever done in kitchens. So you take, for instance, uh, you know, uh, ingredients that are really difficult to use, like onion skins. And I know, you know, you can dehydrate them and you can turn them into a powder. And these are really great for flavoring breads as well. So you want an onion bread, it's a really great way in, in using it up. Uh, I've also made teas out of it, like an onion tea and looking from a health point of view as well and that's from from a nutrition because it's full of flavonoids and antioxidants so we're just 
fantastic for your health as well. So I think um, really uh, understanding that, you know, the 4% is okay to add in and that's industry standard, but really it's a kind of safety network and, you know, you don't want to get your chefs to be complacent uh, about the food waste and having that attitude of, well, you know, the waste is already costed in there, so I'm not really going to investigate it. It should be investigated because, you know, it's one of those variable costs, as I said, and you really need to maximize your profits. Okay, we'll be right back to the conversation after a short break. Bolcha Ireland's new breakfast toolkit contains expert advice and practical tools that are applicable to all areas of food and service. You can find the breakfast toolkit and more helpful supports and guidance on the operational performance section under strategic F&B operations on our COVID-19 business support hub at falchaireland.ie. So we've talked a bit about avoiding prep waste or using finding ways to use up the trimmings and what might be classified sometimes as the unavoidable waste involved in preparation of food. And we talked a little bit about what Morris talked about in terms of food that's been cooked but hasn't been used and how those leftovers can be incorporated into dishes and menus. But Niall, what about, I suppose, the rest of the, the chain from, you know, your purchasing right through to the end in terms of, you know, your servings to your customers and, and plate waste, I suppose, those two ends. What are the kind of key things to think about in terms of avoiding waste all the way through the process? For me, I keep on reverting back to the HACCP system. And the HACCP system was created really for around food safety. But, you know, I, I, but what I love about it is the critical control points that are in it. And I always tackle something and investigate something in that light. So I have a look at every stage. So from your ordering, are you ordering right? You know, are you ordering the right amounts? Are the recipe scaling up? So, you know, so you don't want spoilage. So, so that's one area that you can really try and avoid by ordering smarter from your supplier and storage as well. Like, is the product being stored right? Is it being left at the back door for two hours before it's going into a refrigerator or a freezer? You know, this all has effects on the quality of the product and also the shelf life. Then, you know, then it goes in, into your prep. You know, are you over prepping? And is that product not being used? Is it, is it spoiling? And is it ending up in the bin? And then, you know, when you go, when you have a look at your plate waste and your portioning you know really what you need to be doing is, is standardizing your recipes and having an SOP for everything you know having portion control in there and but also having a measure in there that measures that and that making sure that you're getting the proper yields but you know an easy way to tackle this is, is to really kind of you know do an experiment and weigh your waste you know set it up on your bench have a look at your trimming waste your uh, unavoidable waste uh, and also your plate waste and, and measure what's actually coming back and seeing where the issues are and tackling it from that point of view. But also now, I think that food waste can be tackled before the food gets to your door as well. Like, And over the past, I've had relationships with my producers and suppliers that if they have an excess uh, amount produced and they can't get rid of it, we always kind of work together to get a deal on yeah. it. Now, there's two benefits to that. There's a benefit to the farm that's growing for me. It's a benefit for them that they don't have to throw that fresh produce into the compost heap to do the next harvest. Now, they get a little bit of money for it. I get a good product at a reduced price for it as well. Doing it like that, you know, I think is a great relationship because you need to build up really good relationships with your producers and suppliers. Yeah, for sure. Um, you need to bring them in. You need to go out and visit what they're doing. You need to get an understanding of what they're about and they need to get an understanding of what you're about too. Yeah. And together, when I find when you do work with your producers and suppliers, you do come up with ways together to innovate. Then wouldn't it be done if you actually didn't make that connection? Yeah, that's true. I think a key point there, Morris, is having the flexibility of uh, being able to change your menu and being able to run specials. I think that's probably key as well, that your menu doesn't well, maybe go off the yeah. print and that it's done in-house. 
Absolutely. And that was leading on to my next point was flexibility on, on your main menu and specials as well. It's crucial for this to have that flexibility that, okay, my first supplier's got like a, a lot of haddock, you know, and, and this is a perishable product. It has to be used today or tomorrow. Um, you can bring that in and put something on to get that used up as well. Yeah, for sure. Marth, are, are there other ways or other tips you would give around how you plan and design menus that, that can really, you know, drive towards reducing waste yeah i mean like for me i think if you keep it seasonal and you keep those seasonal ingredients products in the kitchen and you use them in in a number of different dishes that way if one dish isn't selling you have another dish there to use it up i think on the labor side of things as well is like you can't add more work onto something that's already busy that you're doing so you need to look at a dish and think well okay like take for example the papaya salad for example or maybe the sauerkraut the, the cauliflower leaves and the papaya salad made with the broccoli like you can't do that additionally on top of what you're doing already. So you need to look at it. Well, can I incorporate this? I know I'm going to get broccoli in for my, my veg, but what do I do with the stalks? But yet again, I have a starter on that I could use the papaya salad and, you know, be, be with like a Thai style prawns or whatever. Actually, king prawns grill put through it. The sauerkraut can be a component as well or a salad. So you start looking at ways where you, you can filter all these byproducts or additional ingredients, you could call them, into, into various dishes in the menu. Okay, so it really is having that very holistic thinking of using every part of the product that you're bringing in and incorporating that into your planning rather than it ever becoming a byproduct and something that you're Absolutely. trying to use. And then maybe you're making a pickle and putting it on a shelf, but not having a dish to, to put it into. Yeah, it's very so, good for theatre, but like I think for customer, if you're trying to talk to the customer about what you're doing and what your ethos is with the food and they see it, it creates a point of conversation. But why are you doing that? What's the reasons you're doing that? It looks great and it's actually going to really taste great. So when they come back again, two weeks later when that's pickled, they'll know that this is something that would have went to the bin and they'll know that it's something that's actually nutritional and it's very delicious as well. And how important is, is it to have that kind of customer buy-in in, in what you're doing? Do you think it's important for the industry to start communicating these efforts to their customers and, and finding a way to, to kind of talk to their customers around efforts on, on food waste and other kind of sustainability measures that they're taking? Yeah, I mean, I think it's absolutely crucial. A consequence of customer satisfaction is food waste, you know, and something like that needs to change. The customer needs to understand that change in, in everything is needed now at the moment with what's happening with climate change. You know, we need to be more sustainable in every part of our lives. And one of the main parts for me is our food. Um, it's the miles traveled, you know, and, and I think we really need to make the customer aware of like, what are the uh, statistics behind all this? Like how much greenhouse gas emissions is food production causing? And the answer to that is 26%. And 24% of that is, is down to food waste. And then 9% of that is down for plate wastes from customers themselves and retailers. So when they start kind of putting everything together and realize how much waste is going on, they will be conscious going forward of what, what they're eating. They will be conscious of how much they're eating and they will be conscious of what they're wasting as well, both in restaurants and at home. Great. And Niall, what about your chefs, your team? I mean, you mentioned earlier, you don't, you know, you don't want your team to become complacent around kind of um, making an assumption that there's going to be a certain degree of food waste. How important is it to get 
the whole team on board with waste reduction. Yeah, to be honest with you, it's absolutely critical. You have to get the buy-in from your team of, of what your goals are, what your targets are, and you know what your ethos of your restaurant or your company is. I found for myself personally, one way was to have a look at our waste on a monthly basis and, and have targets of reducing that waste, but also driving incentives within the kitchen. So, you know, it wasn't in money terms, but it was more like, you know, the guys in the kitchen wanted a new toy, so they wanted a new Thermomix. So I said, okay, you know, let's reduce our costs and I'll buy that Thermomix. You know, so there's a tangible result at the end. So it's a win-win situation. So I'm reducing my waste, but the guys in the kitchen are getting new toys to play with. And that, that also drives innovation and creativity as well. And it, it really kind of gets the boy in. And it's not just one, you know, it's not one person's uh, job. It's everyone's job to do this. Uh, but I think it's critical to get your whole team on board of what you're trying to do. Okay, Niall, what about technology? Is there a role for technology in terms of monitoring food waste? Yeah, I believe there is a role. There's a lot of different companies out there. I was recently talking to an Irish startup last week, a Positive Carbon, and they've developed it to scales. It, it takes a camera of your food of your food waste that goes up into the cloud. What they have done is they've actually gone into kitchens and find out where the issues are, what's the barriers in, in recording this. So the chefs don't have to put in what the ingredients are. It basically takes a photograph of it and it's analyzed analyzed on the cloud uh, and send you back that data. Now, I guess the most important part is what you do with that information and how are you proactive in using that. But, you know, it shouldn't prohibit you in reducing your waste. You can do this manually. You can just put containers on your table and record your different types of waste on a daily basis to analyze everything. But I reckon it does have a, a role to play in it. And larger companies are starting to have a look at uh, using it as a strategic uh, model of reducing the waste. Some of these companies are claiming that it can reduce up to 50%. Morris, do you think it's a requirement? Do you think people need to kind of have that technology in place? I think they need to be making a conscious effort of some degree. Whether or not it's getting technology like that in, it's up to the operation, really. If you're a large operation, you're doing a lot of food every day, then I think this is very much applicable. But if you're a small place, a small cafe or a small restaurant on the street, you know, maybe 40 covers, it mightn't be as applicable. But then, as Niall said, it's up to the people in there to record their own waste to record what's actually been left over each day so they can have a look at it and plan better going forward. I always think that people should learn from the mistakes when they had food waste in the past and then look at it and figure out how can they not let this happen again. And I don't think you need software for that, but the software is a very good tool for recording exactly what has been wasted, how much has been wasted, when it's been wasted as well. And I think this is very good information that can be analyzed and plans put forward. But with these companies, I would love to see them being more proactive and given like solutions, not just providing you data of what's happened, but actually giving you a plan as how helping you to understand or helping you to not let this happen again going forward. So, Niall, we've been talking in, in detail about managing food waste, but can you briefly talk about some of the other areas of kitchen operations that need to be considered to reduce waste and improve efficiency? Yeah, I think the area of labor management, I think, is really important, you know, because obviously, you know, there's your labor costs to consider, um, but it's also having a look at wasted man hours and being inefficient uh, through your ordering and also your menu planning and how you're prepping in that. If you take, for example, if you under 
prepare a dish and you run out, it means you have to do it again, which is costing you money, okay? Also, I think, uh, I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to give you a really good example. You know, we used to peel about 100 kilos of, uh, of potatoes every day. So we developed a system where the whole kitchen would stop for 15 minutes. We'd peel them in 15 minutes and it would be done. So I don't exercise based on that. Instead of leaving one person on that job for, you know, several hours, it actually ended up being cheaper for me to do that. So, and it also drove efficiency as, as well. So it, it's also, you know, it's improving your profitability as well. Then other areas that I would be looking at is recipes that are, you know, that are scalable so that you're making these recipes maybe, you know, three times a week rather than possibly every day. Other is storage. It's a real uh, concern that you have proper storage, that your food is being stored properly. And then another area that I feel that is never really taken seriously is maintaining equipment, preventable maintenance. So, you know, if... I, I think sometimes, you know, businesses feel that, um, well, it's not broken, so why would I be putting money at it? I always feel, well, I'm going to actually maintain my equipment so that I'm not wasting food through it overcooking. So in particular, pastry. So, you know, pastry is you get one shot at it. So you're making sponges. If the temperature isn't right, it isn't controlled, uh, it's wasted. So for me, preventable um, maintenance is really important. Yeah, so they're the kind of areas that I would be looking at. Probably the other is oven space, is maximizing your oven space as well. So that you're, say you have a 20 grid oven uh, that it's full when you're cooking something that you don't have two or three trays on it. So it's maximizing energy as well, which will uh, automatically lead to you saving money and improving efficiencies. Brilliant. That's that's super. And I really love the idea around the whole team. Peeling the potatoes together seems like it'd be a good team building exercise as well. And no one's stuck in the corner peeling potatoes for the whole morning. It is. Yeah, for sure. Okay, great. And so I suppose to wrap up and talking about solutions, I'd like to just ask both of you maybe briefly for your top tips on what every business who's listening could do to take action on food waste in their kitchens. So Morris, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think there's no quick fix or silver bullet to this. I think this will require a lot of planning, a lot of educating, training. And I think every business should start off with small incremental changes over time. I think if you start big at the, at the beginning, you're going to trip yourself up. And to be honest, it may put you off going down that road. But I think if you could each week, if you could make one change, maybe two changes, two weeks over a month, then next thing you've got eight, 10 changes done. I think that'll help bring it in. And I think as I talked before about you know the labor side of things and how would you use byproducts start planning your menus to uh, include these start planning your dishes that okay i'm going to spend labor on something that needs to be used up and this is going to be a component for a dish now this is preventing food waste but it's also increasing my uh, gross profit percentage and my food costs as well also as well if people could try to grow their own if they have the space or the or the capability i think hyper sourcing is a brilliant thing now even if it gets a small percentage of it it is a small percentage, and if more people are doing it, that's more small percentages that will add up. So I think if people could try and start growing their own things, if they can, that would also be a big help. Yeah, and it certainly adds to the appreciation of the product and the effort that, that it takes to produce exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. Niall? For me, Ruth, it's all about it's all about costs. It's all about identifying where the waste is coming from and having that information really allows you to tackle it in a measurable way. So yes, that, that would be my top tip. Understand where your where your waste is coming from and how much it's costing you. Super. And as we mentioned earlier, that EPA research project and report that's called Less Food Waste, More Profit, and it's on the EPA website and that can maybe help people just with some guidance in terms of analysing what they are wasting and also getting an estimate of what it might actually be costing them. That brings us to the end of the fourth episode of the Inside Food series. My thanks to Niall and Morris for joining me today and sharing their knowledge. 
You can find practical tools on waste management in the Breakfast Innovation Toolkit on the COVID-19 Business Support Sub at faultoireland.ie. In the next episode, I'll be chatting to Philip O'Neill, General Manager of Clayton Hotel Dublin Airport, and Karina Neary of Neary Marketing, and we'll examine how food businesses can drive sales and minimise costs. I hope you'll join us then. Thank you. The Inside Tourism Business Podcast is brought to you by Falcha Ireland, the National Tourism Development Authority. Subscribe now on your favourite streaming platform and join us next time for more expert advice and insights.